If you have your Bibles, I'd like to you to turn to Psalm 62. This morning, we're going to be looking at a psalm, uh, and it's number 62. And um, while you're looking for that, I might just um, pray. And then what I'd like for us to do, because in the Old Testament, they used to stand as God's word was read. So I know you're at home, but I think it's kind of nice if we just stand when we read God's word. But I'm going to pray first, and then we'll, we'll stand and read God's word. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, which speaks to us, which reveals who you are and who we are. And Lord, it helps our hearts to follow you because we know what a good and loving and gracious, kind God you are. I pray that you use Psalm 62 this morning to minister to us. In Jesus' wonderful and matchless name I pray. Amen. Why don't we stand together and read Psalm 62. My soul waits for God alone. Verse 1. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him? Like a leaning wall, like a tottering fence. They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. For God alone, my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my fortress and my salvation. My fortress, I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion in the balances they go up. They are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God, and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. For you will render to a man according to his work. You may be seated. I want to ask you a question this morning. Who do you trust? It's a great question to be asking ourselves, especially in the time that we have been sovereignly placed on planet Earth to be living. I mean, did you ever imagine that your life would be looking the way that it is? For each one of us, we have been entrusted with the gift of life and breath. And no doubt we all have things that we're hoping for and that we're looking for. So where do you look? Where do you go? Maybe this will help you answer the question. Remember the question is, who do you trust? But let's say if Riley followed you around for six weeks and just observed your life, what would he say your only hope is? Now, here's a disclaimer. That'd be really creepy if he did that. So if he ever does that, let us know because that's pretty bizarre. But you get the idea, right? My title this, uh, this morning for the message is My Only Hope. And I believe God wants to show us something really special from Psalm 62. I believe God wants to show us that our trust, our hope can be put in right or wrong objects, right or wrong things. 
And as we consider what our only hope is, I want to caution you. I want you to be aware you will have strong temptations to despair or to seek security in things other than God. So my prayer this morning is that we would resolve to put our hope fully in God. And I have three points this morning as we work through Psalm 62. My first point is, where is my only hope found? The second point is, why God only? And third, what does God only look like? So point one, where is my only hope? Well, it's really important when we're looking at this psalm to understand the setting of what's going on. You see, Psalm 62 is written by David, and we learned that David grew up amongst sons. He was the youngest of eight sons, and his dad's name was Jesse. And Jesse put him in charge of their, their flock. And so Jesse learned to be a shepherd. Not only did he learn to be a shepherd boy, um, but he also learned out tending the sheep to play the harp and to also how to use a slingshot. In fact, he wrote a lot of the songs, which are psalms, which we now sing, but he learned to love the Lord. He learned to be a man after God's own heart. His ability to play the harp was made known to King Saul, and King Saul asked David to come into his palace and to serve him by playing the harp. While he was in the palace, King Saul um, was um, being threatened by the Philistines. They had a giant named Goliath. Who, um, who was threatening the children of God. And David went out and he killed Goliath with a stone. But not only did David become famous, infamous, David grew in stature and in favor amongst God and man. He rose to, to be king one um, finally. And then what happened was he had a wife, well, he had a couple of wives and a couple of mother-in-laws, but then he also had children. And one of his children, by the name of um, Absalom, was after him and was pursuing him. So David was actually on the run here when, when we're looking at Psalm 62. So the setting is David is a king. He's running from his son Absalom, who's trying to harm him. And people that are near David are telling him things to his face, but doing something different. So he's got enemies that are sort of attacking him. And David is afraid. Now, another thing that's important to understanding Psalm 62 is the style. It's important to understand that these hymns in Psalms are stylistically different. And this one in particular, Psalm 62, is called a lament. Now, we don't practice lamenting um, very much in our Western society. We don't actually express our emotions. We actually try to hide them or bury them or pretend that they don't exist. And yet scripture is full of laments. Uh, we read in Habakkuk that there is a lament over the coming judgment of Israel. And Lamentations, um, it's a whole book about lamenting. And even Jesus cried in the Garden of Gethsemane, and it's a lament. It's important to understand the significance of laments. You see, Psalms are, um, that our laments are often poetic songs, but poetic songs that are giving voice to sorrow or problems or pains of God's people. And so their primary function is to lay a troubled situation before the Lord, asking him for help. 
And this is what the psalmist is doing. This is what King David is doing. And I want you to notice the flow of the psalm. In verses 1 and 2, David is addressing his own soul. He's crying out that, and reminding his own soul that God is his salvation, his rock, his fortress, and he's not going to be shaken. And verse 3 and 4, he describes the attackers how long will they attack a man um, to batter him like a leaning wall, like a tottering fence? They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. Then in verses five to seven, David is addressing his soul. He goes back to about his hope and his rock and his salvation and his refuge. And then in verse eight and 10, he kind of addresses the congregation talking about how God is a refuge. And then in verses 11 to 12, he's clearly stating that it is in God alone that it's enough. God alone is his power, his steadfast love. He has, he will record the records of wrong. You know, I really enjoy pieces of art. Um, I enjoy listening to or reading stories. I like viewing paintings. I like hearing pieces of music. And what I really enjoy is kind of that flow of the work of art. You know, when we look closely, you see things like good versus evil in a plot, or you see the light and shade in a painting, or the tension and the emotion of stringed instruments in ballads. This psalm is like a piece of art that provides tension. There's light and shade, there's good versus evil. And David clearly sees and knows where his only hope is found. It's found in God alone. But it's a process of being genuine and real and authentic, even in the dark, evil tension of life. So where is your hope? Is it in God alone? Now, I want us to understand there is a word in here that's used a couple of times in Psalm 62, and it is this kind of interchangeable between alone and only. You see, five times in Psalm 62, this word is mentioned or these words are mentioned. You'll see it in verse 1 and verse 2 and verse 4, 5, and 6. If you have the NIV, you'll notice it in verse 9. But we must understand and remember this, this was written in Hebrew, translated into Greek, and now into English and many other languages. But probably the best way to understand this is the word, to use the word alone all the time. But what does alone mean? How should we, you and I, understand it? The what David is really saying is, is that no one or nothing besides or only God, it's a position, sorry. It's basically a position that David holds. So for example, I stand alone. My position is on the pastoral team that Crocs are cool and comfortable footwear. That's my position, but I'm the only one on the pastoral team that thinks that. Dave Taylor, our lead pastor, He's the only one that thinks it's okay for men to drink pink lemonade with an umbrella. He's the only one on the pastoral team that thinks that that's okay. Brendan, um, Brendan's come and spoken to you guys a couple of times. He stands alone that with all that gray hair, he's still young. He's the only one on the team that thinks he's still young. Riley, Riley stands alone thinking that he can take Richard Henry, and my son Noah on single-handedly. Noah, my son, don't let me down. <laughs> but he's the only one that would think that. So it's a position. In all seriousness, David is hammering home a concept that we, we ought not miss. He's showing us 
No one, nothing else besides God in the midst of life's most threatening moments will settle his soul other than God alone. God alone is his salvation. His position is no one else. Nothing else will fail my soul. I don't know if you have ever been in a situation whereby you have nothing else but God to defend you or to protect you. I mean, in the last few months, for all of us, we've been placed in this position of needing protection. We needed defending from a virus. We've needed help. We've needed safety. But where would you stand? What's your position of hope when a pandemic hits or your neighbor fails to or continues to make your life difficult or a colleague continues to highlight all of your mistakes or a family member misrepresents you? It would be unkind of me not to remind you that God, has never, God hasn't promised that you won't ever suffer or that you won't face trials of many kinds. In fact, we are called to deny ourselves and to take up our cross and follow him. God hasn't promised that you won't need defending. You think about what John chapter 15 verse 18 warns us. It says, if the world hates you, Know that it hated me first before it hated you. What about Luke 10, 16, where Jesus says, the one who hears, uh, sorry, the one that hates you hates me. And the one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. What about Paul when he wrote to the Corinthians where he said, so we don't lose heart. Though our outer nature is wasting away, our, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Dear friend, we will face suffering. We will endure hardship. We will be tested. You may have people who don't like you. You may lose your job. Your health may decline. But the question is, where? Where will you put your trust? Where will your hope be? How will you position yourself? Now, before we move on from this point, I want to point out a tension that I've observed in this. If you look in verse one, the psalmist is saying, for God alone, my soul waits. Verse two, he's saying, he only is my rock. And verse five, he's saying, for God alone, my soul waits. And verse six, he's saying, he only is my rock and my salvation. And the tension that I'm wanting to put before you and highlight for you this morning is, is the psalmist really advocating that upon God and God alone is where our hope is to be found? Is that really what he's saying? So in times of conflict, trust God only. When there's marital problems, trust God only. When your friendships are at, um, uncomfortable and difficult, trust God only. When you're mentally fatigued and emotionally um, <laughs> empty, Trust God only in times of being under attack. Trust God only in times when resources are short. Trust God only. 
in times of bushfires, flooding, COVID-19, trust God only? Well, this takes us to our second point. Why God only? Why God solely? Why nothing besides God? And my second point, why God only, what do we mean? Do we mean God plus or do we mean God alone full stop? To help answer that question, I thought it might serve us to recognize that these divinely inspired words from the psalmist or from this whole book of Psalm, they are theologically rich. You see, there are themes, there are theological themes that are sprinkled throughout these psalms. When the psalms were sung, imagine, go back all that time ago, think about old Israel. All the people of God are coming together. Now, they're not all educated. They can't all read and write. They don't all have books. But what's happening is the priests, the prophets, are informing them of these truths through song. And so the, song, the choir is teaching these songs to the people of God, to the covenant people. And they sing them together corporately. And then no doubt on their journeys home and throughout the week when they're tending to their farms, they're singing these hymns. And these hymns are revelations of truths, theological truths. So things like there is only one God who created heaven and earth and who rules over all of it. Things like there is one true God who made all things and made man with dignity and purpose. There's this thing that God chose a people for himself and bound himself by a covenant. There's a theme which we see in Psalm 62, which is about salvation. You understand? We need saving. There's a reason why we, salvation has come, and that is because we needed to be saved. God's offering grace to his, um, to his people the forgiveness of their sins is what he's offering. And so it's important that we understand that these psalms are laced with theological themes. Another theme that we see throughout the psalms is that we see that God's people are headed toward a glorious future. Remember, the, the covenant people back in this time, they're still waiting for a Messiah to come. They're still waiting for rescuing we live at a time where we're waiting for the Messiah to return to take us to be with him, but the Messiah has come. The Messiah has come and paid a death on the cross for us so that we could be in relationship with him. These themes help us understand the revelation that God is providing for his people. Where can your only hope be found? It can be found in this God who, who rules and reigns, who created you with dignity and purpose, who's saving you, and who's taking you to be with him one day. <clears throat> Why God only? Why not systems and programs and doctors and lawyers and possessions and education? Well, according to Psalm um, 62 verse 7, David is saying, my soul rests myself on God my rest my salvation and my glory. He's my rock and my refuge is God. He is a fortress. He is somebody that David understands is a savior. You know, those above mentioned possibilities to hope in don't save our souls. Don't bring our souls the rest that they really need. 
So what it means for someone to declare that God is my salvation is he's rescued me. He has saved me. He's delivering me. He loves me. I think it's really helpful when we're looking at God's word to sort of put yourself in the situation of where um, of these people and to think about how they would might be possibly considering these words. These people are part of God's covenant because they're part of God's covenant. They need to understand who God is. You're a part of this covenant. You need to understand who God is and what he's doing, what he's about, why you're here, what your purpose is. God's people from Adam until now, 2020, all of God's people are being led. All of God, all people are being led. And when you think about God's people, when you say, if we start with Abraham, he received an inheritance And his wife, Sarah, bore a son named Isaac, and Isaac had a son named Jacob, and Jacob had a son who was Joseph, who led God's people into Egypt. And then Moses was raised up to lead God's people out of Egypt. God is leading and doing things and protecting his covenant people, his promises for a purpose. And through all of this, through all of these troubles, he's preserving and he's protecting and he's guiding. All the way up even now to Psalm 62, where we find David suffering, enduring tests amidst trial. David is trusting in God alone. Here's the catch though. What we learn is through this, there will, he was tempted to turn to other things than uh, to God. Look with me at verses nine and 10. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balance, they go up. They are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart upon them. Why? Have you noticed how people and resources and the objects that we turn to, that we hope in, that we trust in, that can fail us. You know, if you could take anything home this morning from the message of what Psalm 62 is, is it's in the midst of trials. You will be tempted to trust in other things other than in God alone. In the midst of trials, you will be tempted. Psalm 27, 20 verse seven tells us, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord, our God. (laughs) How easy it can be to put our trust in, in brutes who will knock off our enemies or hope in a people of influence or power who might be able to position us better. Temptations are real. You know, it being a pandemic and all, how many of us have put our hope in ourselves to get through the pandemic? And if we just follow all the rules and we put all of our hope in others doing the right thing or put our hope in the government or the police or bosses to create safe work environments, we can put our hope in the COVID safe app and we can log on to see if where to avoid. We place our hope in objects. We place our hope in systems. That will make things better, we tell ourselves. 
I guess what I'm wanting to ask you is, brother, sister, how have you turned to God for hope in this pandemic? Has he been your hope? Have you been shaken by reports? Can I remind you, friend, God has created each one of you with dignity and purpose. He has a plan. His plans won't be thwarted if you are his child. And he has created you to be dependent, not independent. He wants you to act and, and to do. He wants you to be his salt and light and his witness. But he wants you to be informed that he has a plan for you. And he's overseeing all of this. Providentially provided good and bad to help us be more like him. But instead, what we do is we get in these circumstances and we tell ourselves, I've got this. I'll figure it out on my own. Where would you be tempted to run to instead of God? What would God only mean to you when you're undergoing trials and temptations? It's not natural to trust God only in hardship, is it? Um, I mean, we could go to Google to find out what Google has to say first instead of God. I wonder if there's a Facebook post or a blog about whatever I'm going through. Yet these divinely inspired words show David models what God alone looks like. You see, these psalms don't simply express emotions when sung in faith. They actually shape the emotions of the godly. Let me say that again. This psalm, it doesn't simply express emotion when sung in faith. It actually shapes the emotions of the godly. A creator, when he creates something, or a creator, when a creator creates something, they know how things are made to work and they know how they're to function. And yet we don't go to him. We don't go to our creator when hardship and trials come. Why is that? He's our creator and he's our savior. David knew of God's salvation. David had been rescued many times. He had experienced a horrible sin that he had practiced. And David pled with God to have mercy on him when he became aware of the gravity of his own sins. And he asked the Lord to create in him a clean heart. And that's exactly what he received. Friends, are you here this morning and needing rescuing from a situation? God knows all about it. Are you more aware of your enemies? Are you more aware of God's power? Are you being pressed in on every side? Are you being weighed down by guilt and shame? Are you hurting? Thank you for zooming in this morning. You could be doing so many other things, but I believe that the Lord wants you to know who he is. And when you do, you will be able to join in like David and go, he alone is my salvation. Four times, David refers to his salvation, my salvation, my rock, my refuge. And that was amidst the turmoil and trial of his son trying to overthrow him. Think about it. In the midst of enemies creeping in, declaring, God alone, you are my only hope. Wow. Rehearsing who God is 
shapes our emotions and brings confidence in trial. How can you do that though? How do you get there? You know, they say that talking to yourself is a sign that you're going senile and yet the Bible encourages us to do so. And if you have a chance this week in your quiet times, I would encourage you to read Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 this week. Read it slowly, write it out. But interestingly, in his book, Spiritual Depressions, Its Cures and Causes, Martin Lloyd-Jones writes this. He writes, have you realized that most of our unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you're listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? He goes on to explain that rather than just going along with the thoughts that come to you in the morning, which bring back all the troubles from yesterday, you've got to take yourself in hand, preach to yourself and question yourself. Ask yourself, why are you cast down? And then you exhort yourself to hope in God. And then you must go on to remind yourself of God, who God is and what God is and what God has done and what God has pledged himself to do. And then having done that, end on this great note, defy yourself and defy other people and defy the devil and the whole world and say with this man, I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance who is also the health of my countenance and my God. Here in Psalm 62, David piles on description after description as he remembers who God is. In fact, if you count all the mys in this passage, it's truly obvious David is fighting here. Though living under this impending attack, he's fighting for his soul to be silent and to rest in God's saving rescue mission. So let me be clear, why my only hope? Because God alone is our salvation and he's trustworthy. He can't lie, he's faithful. In Numbers 23, 19, it says this, God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? Can I be really candid with you this morning? King David is on the run. He had wives, he had money, he had a reputation, he had success, he owned his own home, he had kids, he was afraid and he's running, scared. Boy, don't we need to hear this in Sydney 2020. And we ought to be sobered here. David isn't trusting in something other than God, nor is he trusting God in something else or God in someone else. He trusts in God alone and he is very confident. Let me ask you, if you're a follower of Jesus, it's not that you don't trust God, right? I mean, we do. You have to trust God as Christians. I mean, in order to be a Christian, you have to trust God in the matter of salvation minimally, right? However, I think the struggle for us is to trust God only. However, we always want to add things to trust as well, don't we? I mean, being a pastor, I've had the privilege of walking with God's dear people. And I find that Christians today are far more inclined to trust in the world's tools and mechanisms rather than trusting in Jesus Christ wholly. And I've sometimes wondered, do we really think that Jesus is sufficient for all things? 
Now, no one is ever going to say he's not. But take stock this morning of what happens when enemies surround you. Consider when you turn, who you turn to when you're faced with suffering. When enemies surround us, when money is low, when our reputation is at stake, when people lie about you, when bad things happen to you, where do you turn? Would you get angry and complain? God, why? Why are you allowing this to happen? Really? This is your love for me? Or would you submit to him, agreeing, I trust in your promises. I'm trusting in your promises where you say, I am, lo, I am with you always. Never will I leave you nor forsake you. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. My grace is sufficient for you. I know my sheep. I sing over you. There's nowhere that you can go from my presence. Nowhere. Yes, I oppose the proud, but I give grace to the humble. Oh, would you find comfort in his word, this living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword word? Would you hide this word in your heart that you might not sin against him? Would it be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path when your soul is in turmoil? If I'm honest with myself, I tend to turn to entertainment when I'm suffering, when I'm tired and when I'm tested. I run to reality TV. Give me Bear Grylls, give me The Voice, give me My Kitchen Rules, give me um, Repo. Um, it takes my mind off of my own it's situations and it lets me laugh at somebody else's turmoil and trouble. If I can focus on someone else's drama, I can try to escape rather than pouring out my heart before him, trusting in him to be my refuge and my fortress. What about for you? Where would you be tempted to run? Is it food or entertainment or sexual gratification? Something that you can control? Fantasy land? Stocks? Sports? Are these the things, the right things to turn to? They're not bad, but is it the right place to go? Probably not. And here's why. What we're saying is, I trust God with my words, but I'm betraying God with my actions. We're pretending to trust God, but we're not really trusting him only. We're instead acting on the, to temp the temptations to despair and to, to seek security in other objects. You know, there's a man who I really respect in scripture and one day I'll get to meet him. But he's a man who had great wealth, had children um, and had a wife, uh, had servants, big land. And unexplainably, God took everything away from him, his children and his health. Do you know what he is recorded in scripture as to have, been, as to have said? In Job 1.21, he says, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. How amazing is it when God gives us the grace to 
humble ourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalting us, casting all our anxieties on us because he cares for you. That's the reality, friends. We can trust in wrong objects. And when we do, it doesn't put our soul at rest. Our soul is not comforted. Those objects will fail us and let us down. And David is a prototype of King Jesus. And he's showing us not to make this mistake. And David has learned that if we trust, if he was to trust God, he had to trust him only. And when he did, he found that God was indeed his rock, his salvation, and his fortress. Friends, are you sitting here this morning and thinking, that sounds okay, but it sounds impossible. Really? Truly? I can't. I don't know. To have my hope only be in God alone. But if you're saying that, good. I'm glad you're saying that because you wouldn't be alone. You need to spend time thinking about it. You need to spend time considering what we're talking about. So this takes us to my third point. What does my only hope look like? It looks like this. It looks like a soul that waits on God alone. It looks like a soul that's not easily shaken. It looks like a soul that has a hope. It looks like a soul that is rested, a soul that has a trust in their refuge, a sense of knowing where to go to for power and steadfast love. It looks like a position a position that we take, and that position is, God alone is my comfort. God alone is my salvation, and I trust him completely. It's not God plus financial security, God plus a partner, God plus a job, and then I'll be okay. It's not God plus something else or someone else. In Romans 8, we read it at the very beginning. It's a beautiful picture of what my only hope looks like. What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How? How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against you? His elect people. God's the one that's going to justify you when your enemies are creeping in. Who's going to condemn you? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he raised from the dead. He's now at the right hand of God. Nothing, friends, nothing will separate you from his love. Neither height, nor debt, nor tribulation, distress, famine, a pandemic, nakedness. For as it is written, for your sake we're being killed all the day long, he goes on to tell the Romans. But in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else, and all of creation will be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. I wonder, if you don't know God, could I plead with you for just a moment? When you lay your head down at night, are you in turmoil? Are you weary of soul? Are you weighted down? I've got some good news for you. You don't have to live that way. There is another way. In God alone, he is a refuge, a fortress. And get this, he hears you. He sees you. With everything that is going on in the world today, I would ask you to genuinely place your hope in God. How do you do that? You ask God to create in you a clean heart. You ask God to help you understand and see and know his ways. Tell him, your ways don't seem to be working. You've exhausted everything and you're finding life very difficult and you need help. It's just having a mental conversation, a private conversation by yourself, on the toilet, in your bedroom, in your car. I've done what I'm telling you to do. And he kindly and he graciously met me when I repented of my sins and I asked him for forgiveness for rejecting him and trying to live independently of him. And all I can say is my hope is in God alone. My soul has found rest in him because he is a mighty fortress. He is an amazing savior and I truly trust him. Now I got to tell you, once you trust in him, you'll get plenty of opportunities to trust him more. Um, for me personally, these last four months have been some of the hardest of my life. I've asked God, where are you? I've questioned his goodness, his faithfulness, his truthfulness, and his power. And I want to tell you, and if I could, I'd grab you by the shoulders and say, you can trust him. He's worthy to be trusted. He's a refuge that you can run to. He's a refuge that you can turn to. And your soul will be rested amidst the turmoil, amidst the chaos, amidst the health, amidst the finances, amidst the trouble of your children, your marriage. He'll rest. Your soul will become rested. He's worth trusting. If you don't know him, talk to somebody there at Parameta. They would love to serve you. Now, you're here this morning and you're a follower of Christ. And I see many of my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And I love you. And I'm so proud of you. But your names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. What does your only hope look like? Well, if you're here this morning and following Jesus and you are currently being tested, enemies are surrounding you and you're shaken by trials and you're weary, I get you. And so does he. He's not irritated with you. He's not angry with you. He's not mad at you and he's not punishing you. He's got you. I promise he's got you. But I would encourage you to share with someone and get them to pray with you. 
Perhaps you can share what objects you're being tempted to put your hope in instead of God alone. But I preach to yourself, be a senile if that's what the world calls it, but talk to yourself. Rehearse the truths of who Jesus is and what he's done, where your salvation comes from. And commit to God alone and invite others to walk with you in this. When I was walking through what I was walking through this last four months, one night I couldn't sleep and I was crying out to the Lord and he reminded me of this. He says this in Psalm 9, the Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. Listen to this. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. He won't forsake you. So if you're here this morning and your enemies are pressing in, there's hope. But don't stay quiet. Let your brothers and sisters be Jesus's hands and feet. But say you're here this morning and God has actually brought you through a season of testing and trials and difficulty. There's a great song that we're going to sing afterwards, but it says, oh, praise him. Praise him. Hallelujah. And where and when appropriate, testify of his mighty works. People are looking for hope. People need saving. And they don't just need these words on a page. They let him, let them see the transforming work of Christ in you. You testify how Christ has saved you and met you. And then keep rehearsing who he is and care for others. In conclusion, my dear brothers and sisters at Parameda, where is my only hope? Where is your only hope? Oh, would your position be that it is in God alone? Why God alone? Because he's our salvation. And he can be trusted. Sorry. And what does God only look like? Well, it looks like in the midst of trials, though we're tempted to turn to other things and to trust in other people or other things, we can say, I trust in God alone. Let's pray. Lord, I love your word, and I love you, and I'm thankful that you saved me, and I'm thankful that you saved my dear brothers and sisters on the screen, and I thank you, Lord, that you care about us, and you want to reveal yourself to us, your greatness, your power, your strength, your control, but Lord, I pray that you would meet these dear saints wherever they're at. Would this word comfort them, assure them, grow their confidence that their only hope can be in God alone? I pray that you would use this to help them love you more. And I pray that all glory and honor would go to you, for truly you are worth it all. In Jesus' name, amen.